0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more,
1: visit cac.org.
0: Hi, everybody. I'm Jackie Lewis, and this is Love, Period, a podcast about how we're going to love ourselves, love our posse, and love the world fiercely on the way to making our lives and the world better. Today, my guest is the Reverend John Janka, clergy, consultant, activist. Dad, grandfather, and my sweetie. How nice it is to have a conversation with someone who I know loves so beautifully. I hope you enjoy this conversation. John Jenka.
1: Hello, Jackie. It's great to be with you.
0: You too. It's been a long time.
1: It has indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, at least a minute.
0: (laughs) Been together. I feel like I've been in more meetings lately than usual in my home office, and it's kind of hard to grab time with you.
1: Well, it has been a very busy time for you. That's true.
0: Some people don't know it, but you are my husband.
1: Yes, I am indeed your husband, which makes you my wife.
0: I am your wife. Right. I know. It's amazing. I'm so glad to have this conversation with you, though, John, because actually I think people are curious sometimes about our dynamic, our relationship, and how we work together. Mm -hmm. So let me just thank you publicly in this space for all the work you've done on my book. You're my first reader for The Fierce Love. I am. My first editor. Yes. So what is Fierce Love, John? What is fierce about love?
1: Well, it's resilient. It is difficult to defeat. Hmm. In my mind, it is ever-present when you're open to it. Hmm. When you're not, of course, then it's likely not going to show up. But I think it's a way in which we find a path to one another. Mm -hmm. It requires some risk-taking on our part. It requires us to extend ourselves beyond our comfort zone. It is a love that is sustaining in difficulty and a love that really ultimately can change lives. I believe that.
0: Did you write that in the book? Do I have that in the book from you?
1: I don't believe so. That was your book. Oh,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not my book.
0: So, are you trying not to put your words in my book?
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, so you know I am a firm believer that the only way we can love fiercely is to really love ourselves first. Uh-huh. And you and I both grew up in the church. Don't you feel like... Self-love is not something that the church really teaches.
1: Well, in fact, a lot of the messages that religion generally gives off is diminishing, in some ways, of persons. You know, we have the admonition in the Christian scriptures that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I always thought one of our big problems is, is that we do exactly that. And it's never enough, because too many of us don't love ourselves enough. And so we honor that admonition, but in a very sad way, a very limiting way.
0: I love that thought that you're saying we're actually following the scripture, and we're loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, and we don't love ourselves well, so we don't love our neighbors well.
1: We can't love our neighbors well, yeah.
0: So we sometimes tease each other and say we had the same family although you are white and I am black, and you are a couple of years older than me. Yes. Did you learn how to love yourself in your family?
1: You know, that gets tricky because in my family, I had both examples of what I would think of as fierce love and examples that were hard to describe love in any terms. Hmm. So I had some folks in my life in formative years who did not have very much emotional intelligence and I think did not really know how to love. Mm -hmm. And I had others in my formative years who are the ones I carry with me more than others, who really taught me how to love and what it meant. They were forgiving, they were tolerant, they were able to understand me as a child and understand my, you know, developmental stages and my changing and growing Mm -hmm. and taught me some of the best notions of love. We talk about people have to learn hate, learn to hate, but in fact, people have to learn to love. It's Mm -hmm. not a given that we're taught hate and the rest of it just kind of comes along somehow. We're either taught love or were not, or taught hate or were not, and unfortunately, too many of us have had bad examples going along the way, and they've been dominant examples.
0: You had both gentle, tolerant, accepting, welcoming, warm examples of love from your mom and your grandfather, mm-hmm. and you had some tough... This isn't really what I hope love looks like experiences with your dad.
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: How did those experiences shape the times you love yourself? Do they ever shape times you don't love yourself? I mean, does that mixed message show up in you in terms of how you've yeah, you love you? Yeah,
1: that's it's like an internal battle for me, you know. Mm-hmm. I want to clarify though that the love I learned was it really gives meaning for me to the notion of fierce because it didn't truck with any bad behavior. Mm. It was strong in the face of things that weren't right mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I had a model of fierce love that, well, on one hand, was nurturing, tolerant, caring, compassionate. That love was also absolutely fierce in the face of injustice or wrongdoing or mistreatment of the other. Mm -hmm. This story is about my grandfather, who, when he was a young parent, he was the father of three daughters. My mother was the oldest of the three. Mm -hmm. And as the story goes, there was a boy on the block who apparently had a coat hanger, a wire coat hanger, And with some repetitions, hit my mother with the wire coat hanger. What? And when my grandfather got home from work and heard the story, he marched out his own door, down the block, to the neighbor's house where the boy lived, went in the house. The boy saw him coming, ran in the house. He Mm -hmm. went in the house, didn't knock, didn't seek invitation, went in the house. The boy ran up the stairs, he went straight in, followed him up the stairs, and confronted him about hitting his daughter with a hanger. Wow. Now this is a man who was, in my mind, a gentle, giving, thoughtful, caring person who moved in the world quietly but thoughtfully and with care, but his love was not weak in any sense, <laughs> yeah. nor was he going to tolerate that behavior yeah. by this other child down the block. So I always remember that story out of his fierce love for his child. He was going to not have that ever, ever happen again. And I believe the boy was so absolutely dumbfounded and put in his place that he probably never came around again. Wow. So you have to think about love as being this force in the world for good. And it is absolutely intolerant of injustice and wrongdoing while it is totally not only tolerant of but embraces care for the other.
0: I love that story. It makes me think about my mother and her little fierce bear cub love. Mm -hmm. Where I'm going, John, is I'm thinking about how your grandfather's love is inside you, shaping you. Like, it's an object inside you. So let me come back to that. But do you remember the story I told of my mom, the two different kinds of ways she had me deal with fighting? Just, you you do not fight. We don't fight. We talk our way out of things. We're Christians. We love each other. We love our neighbor. (laughs) Until... That girl Jennifer
1: (laughs) took your lunch,
0: took my lunch money, and then chased me into my own yard, right up into my house. Uh And then my mother's strategy was totally different. She switched up on you're either going to go out there and stand up for yourself, Mm -hmm. or you're not coming in here. Yeah, and I think I told you that I ended up having a compromise with that girl.
1: Yes, that's right, you did. Right. You negotiated.
0: I was negotiated. You took my money, but uh-huh. what about if you keep half and you give me back half? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was you splitting the two messages. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> the two mommy talks that were inside you. Right, right. <laughs> one is peaceable, one is go kicker. But how's your grandfather inside you, helping you love you? What part of him is in you?
1: Over the years, since... Is Long ago passing he has he has visited me uninvited in some ways just coming to mind. Yeah Just sort of showing up without any sort of rational stream of consciousness he just would pop up in my thoughts and in my mind and I always try to keep track of that because in some ways he's a regular periodic visitor <laughs> from yeah. my awareness this moving in the world and he always has represented for me the importance of building relationships, mm. of reaching out to others. And you know, I sometimes drive you nuts when I'm like connecting with homeless folks on the street. <laughs>
0: You mean like when you shake the hands of the people who when are picking I up the shake garbage? Shake their hands mm-hmm. and you know make <laughs> connection. And
1: you want to immediately hand me a disinfectant, but I do. You know, for me, there's a need to acknowledge the humanity in the other, mm-hmm. and I know that there are people down and out everywhere who, with whom we never make eye contact, we never acknowledge their existence in the world, we pass them by. They remain like phantoms to us. Mm -hmm. And I try never to let that happen if I can help it. I will nod. I will say hello. Even when I'm getting hit up for money or somebody's panhandling on me, I try to engage them as a human being, not as something that has interrupted my flow. So my grandfather is that guy. I really think it's that guy.
0: He taught you how to love the humanity of the other, he and your mom together, but yeah. how to love the humanity of the other, how to love the world, yes. how to love out in the world. Mm-hmm. So this is a little bit out of sequence, but our conversation is taking us here, the place where you know, I try to think about how we fiercely love the world and the healing. When you are granted with a wife resisting, shaking the hand of that man that was on the side of the road that day, on the highway, I don't know why we were stopping, but he was picking up trash with one of the sticky things, I thought, like those sticks that poke the trash. And you were just like, I'm going to talk to this guy and shake his hand. Was the traffic stopped? I can't remember exactly why. You are very, very kind to strangers. Mm. What did your grandfather show you? Like, How did you see that in him?
1: Mm-hmm. What did you see? Well, you know, now when, when I was maybe 14, somewhere in there, and had office school some days, I would go with my grandfather to work. Mm -hmm. And he happened to be a salesman for the National Biscuit Company. And in those days, these salespeople would go store to store and fill out order forms and restock the store, make sure they had the right merchandise and so on. But I learned by going with him watching him, how he dealt with his clients, basically, the store owners, the people who ran the big supermarkets. He would always make contact with them in a very thoughtful way, even when I watched him deal with the setup of a new ShopRite years ago when that brand was just coming on the scene. And all the brass was there, all these guys in $400 suits, And my grandfather was there observing how much shelf space they were going to give his product. Hmm. And I watched him watch them and then engage them, go up quietly, introduce himself, just chat him up a little bit, say, you know, what are you guys thinking? And can I help you think it through in terms of what I usually have? And he just found a way Connect at a human level and not be either put off or intimidated by their impatience and their being so hardwired around making sure they got what they needed and wanted, but try to always open a door for conversation. Mm. So I've really tried from learning that, watching that happen, to do that with other people.
0: And you, who everyone who knows you, Thinks of you, Johnny, as the calmest, coolest character in the room. All my gay friends are like, we want our own John. (laughs) 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 Where's my John? Mm -hmm. But I know that you love the world deeply, but also the world disappoints you
1: sometimes. Oh, you know me well enough to know I can go absolutely off on a tirade.
0: Absolutely off.
1: I can go absolutely (laughs) insane. I admit it. When I see what goes on in the world, I have a deep sense of rage about the injustices and the way people can turn their heads away from a need that is so obvious. And to observe systems creating these structures Mm -hmm. that that absolutely drain the humanity out of people yeah i do have that side to me and i i think it's you know my reaction to people with a coat hanger taking it out on somebody else right it's that sense of indignation that sense of no this is not going to happen on my watch and i'm going to ventilate about it and then i'm going to see what i can do about it so i've always probably been that person i have like a high radar for unfairness Mm -hmm. i think so you learned that as a little boy yeah yeah i did yeah Mm
0: -hmm. love period will continue in a moment
1: Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage
0: so fierce love both has this compassion for the world and a kind of holy rage when injustice happens in the world
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: and drives you to do something about it
1: yeah and i think i think too many times we tell ourselves the story that things are beyond our range of impact mm-hmm. that they're too far away, or the powers that are creating the problem are immune to intervention. Yeah. And I think as long as we tell ourselves that story, then it's self-fulfilling truth. Yeah. So for me, it's been who can I find to partner with, who can I find to motivate to lead I'm not always, uh, in fact, I would probably say of myself, I'm rarely the guy on the front lines, but I'm always the guy pushing from behind Mm -hmm. and encouraging others and thinking strategies and what will be helpful and how do we get from point A to point B. I see that more as my role and how I function and move in the world, yeah.
0: And that just makes me want to come back to you for a second and you loving you how did you get to be confident enough to think I can push from behind and help people mm. do this? I mean mm. what, how do you grow up in that complicated love scenario and then have confidence though, which I think is about your love of yourself? You like yourself pretty well.
1: Mostly. Mostly. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Mostly. But just
0: could you just say a little bit love about The when I like myself, Zora Neale Hurston says, I love myself when I'm looking fierce. Make a connection between when you're loving yourself and feeling confident, or when you're not loving yourself so much. Mm -hmm. How does that affect the way you move in the world?
1: Well, the first place your question takes me is back to my mom, who was a very courageous woman. And I, of course, I never saw her as that until I got old enough to look back, but She was very courageous, very strong, very difficult to defeat. (laughs) Difficult to defeat. Yeah. She had to make her way in the world as a single parent Mm -hmm. from the time I was about 12. And my sister would have been, I guess then, maybe eight or nine. And she had to find work to sustain our life together. She never complained. She never let us know how close to the edge we were living. Mm -hmm. I only figured that out much later, how tricky that was for her. She never was discouraged from taking risk. She would move from a job that was underappreciative of her, and she would find another one. Hmm. She would take a leap and go to another one. She would work two jobs when the opportunity came up, a full-time and a part-time one, work weekends part-time. So she worked a lot. And so there was a sense of, oh, this is how life is. You work a lot. So I've always kind of been that guy, too, working a lot. I overworked. Hmm. I didn't always have my priorities straight. But she really provided a model for me of... Self-love, she had to love herself and like herself a good bit to make it the way she did. Mm -hmm. And so I got from her how important it is that we like ourselves. But most of us have like two voices in our heads, Mm -hmm. the voice that is self-affirming and the voice that is challenging that perception and reminding us of our failures and telling us we're not good enough discouraging us from taking a risk. So I have to balance that, frankly, for myself all the time.
0: Who's winning today?
1: I like myself today. (laughs) Yeah, I'm doing fine today. You're doing okay today? Yeah, for me it's always been the good angel and the not Mm -hmm. such good angel, one on each shoulder.
0: Mm -hmm. John, we are married. We've been together a good long time now. And that makes me your closest neighbor. Mm. We go to sleep together at night, we wake up together in the morning, we sit in our chairs and do our coffee. When there's a world that's as intensely politicized, polarized, angry over politics and religion and race and sexuality all of it. All of that. And then there's you and me who mm-hmm. are mm. this multi ethnic little partnership, very similar values, but you're a man and I'm a woman and you are white and I am black. What's it like to be my neighbor?
1: <laughs>
0: and to love your neighbor?
1: <laughs> this sounds like a Fred Rogers question. Won't so? you be? <laughs> <You're right. laughs> my neighbor. What's it like to be neighbors?
0: What's it like to love in the soup? That we no. live, yeah. right across difference
1: right that's good we do talk about that mm-hmm. a fair bit because our diversity in our relationship puts us in that soup a lot mm-hmm. i have to confess there are times when i have to listen better to your experience of the current moment mm-hmm. and listening helps me understand better the emotional content of the moment for you, mm-hmm. which matters a lot. It matters a lot to me when I get that right. Mm-hmm. I try to be very conscious about that. And it matters to me as well that we have a mutual commitment to not only our personal relationship, but to the correcting the racial narrative in this country that yeah. has lasted so long, 400 plus years, so it's a, a long story in a, in a way, and it's our story in another way, mm-hmm. and I think for the most part we do pretty well at that, but you would be the person also to decide whether that's true, but I think we really talk about it very openly, yeah. we're very transparent about our feelings, Sometimes we're raging about the same thing at the same time in terms of racial disparity and a sense of injustice about it all and the sense for me that as a white person I carry some of the stigma Hmm. of whiteness and I have experienced over the course of my life and work that when I extend myself It's a privilege for me to extend myself and imagine that the person I'm in dialogue with trusts me, (laughs) you know? Why should they, really? But for me, it's something that I realize I have to be aware of, like, all the time, because of our relationship. And you've been very helpful to me along the way, Jackie, in helping me see through your eyes when I couldn't see for myself. And... We expose ourselves to the history, the art that's in the world, the film and the literature. We read stuff together. We parallel around our own work around these issues, and then we bring it together and share it between us. So I think it's vital to our relationship that that curiosity and openness and, and sense of how do we represent in the world how this thing that is a we has figured some of this out because we worked hard on it.
0: I think that's really super important. You know, I'm in the in that second section of fierce love, I talk about loving your posse.
1: Hmm.
0: I said in one passage, John, that I think I shared with you, our brains are wired, especially under times of stress, to hook up with our own people, to find your tribe, right? Hmm. to find your folks and hunker down and circle up and take care of your folks. That's how we have survived as a species. Yeah. And I was writing that I thought the project isn't like how can you undo evolution really but to expand who we think our tribe is. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's possible that I could say any person in the on the planet, I can increase my posse, I call them, mm. to include the tribe that looks just like me but isn't or to include Muslims if I'm Jewish, Jews if I'm Muslim, to include blacks if I'm white, whites if I'm blacks, right, to include mm-hmm. across economy, across faith. And I think because of the racial dynamics in our nation, we're still pretty segregated in our communities and in our worship life and in our play life so that there isn't that opportunity for sustained connection, intimacy, conversation that would increase your time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm making my way to say you're being you Keeps me in the posse extending business. Mm. On a day where I think, oh my God, white people are being pretty white today. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm at this meeting and this is feeling pretty white right now. This moment is a white moment, in quotes, right? Like feeling privileged, feeling packed with superiority or hegemony or male dominance and the things that we can think of as white. And then I, right as I think the thought, this is feeling pretty white in quotes I think and there's John which gets me back to the particular Mm. and that's just really true love I say that about you behind your back I mean you are certainly a white man who has moved in the world as a white man but there's something about the way you stretch to meet me where I am that makes me keep stretching to meet you where you are and that space that interstitial space where we're stretching to meet each other where we are, gosh, I wish I could bottle that
1: Mm. and
0: sell that to the world. Like, Even if we fight about it or get loud about it, I think there's this boundary, border space that's permeable that we're doing discovery and questioning and learning and laughing and crying and getting mad and getting better. Do you know what I mean? I think that that's... So I'm asking, what do you wish white listeners to this podcast who, who are thinking, oh, love yourself, love your neighbor, got it. Love, love your posse, mm-hmm, love the world. But that stretch place of intimate, can you feel that this person's hunger makes your stomach growl? How can white listeners think about stretching toward the so-called other?
1: Well, you know, one of the first things that comes to my mind is stop thinking that you've figured it out. Hmm. Or stop thinking that you know. Hmm. Because the greater likelihood is is that you don't know
0: Mm -hmm.
1: unless you have had a unique experience that has helped you know. Hmm. But most white people don't have that unique experience Hmm. because of the way we're siloed, separated, apartheid. Mm -hmm. They don't, but they want to think that they do have it figured out. Mm -hmm. And their projection is, why haven't black people figured this out? Mm -hmm. Which is, why haven't they figured out to be more like me? Mm -hmm. That's my kind Mm -hmm. of formulation. And so if we're going to get any place, uh, my comment to white people is, stop thinking you know, stop communicating like your history is the same one as black people have had, mm-hmm. and that your narrative of reality is the same as theirs, because mm-hmm. it isn't. Yeah. So there's some deconstructing to do, I mm-hmm. think, first, mm-hmm. and some challenging of assumptions that needs to happen first, Yeah. and some deep, honest conversation first, white people to white people, Yeah. and then when it seems appropriate and not utilitarian, Mm -hmm. engage the other, whoever the other is, out of a sensitivity and a sensibility Mm -hmm. that respects their narrative. That's good, John. So if we can't respect their narrative, like I've had a person in my family say to me, in all sincerity, why are black people so angry? And it just took me back because that was so clear Mm -hmm. that this person had not been exposed to anything that would have answered that question for them by then as a grown-up well-formed adult white person yeah yeah i have some real impatience about that with white people perhaps you've noticed good (laughs) good but it's hard i want to say it's very complex Mm -hmm. it's not easy we're going to make mistakes i'm going to make mistakes But we have to be willing. That's part of the cost of progress, actually.
0: The cost of progress is to make mistakes and to learn. And to hang in. Yeah, to hang in. To hang in.
1: Stay at the table.
0: We've stayed at the table.
1: We've stayed at the table, table. (laughs) yeah.
0: John, let me ask you a final question. What do you know for sure about love?
1: (laughs) I know for sure I've failed at it at least a couple of times in uh, some very painful ways. I know that it's possible to recover from those failures. I know that it's possible to find it again once you've lost it. I also know that sometimes when you're wondering where it is, it comes and finds you. Hmm. So I've been really fortunate, particularly around how we found each other you know I've had the benefit of having some really meaningful relationships with people of color along the way and you know about that I've talked to you about Roselia Cobb yeah. who was an organist in a church a black church that I for a time provided worship leadership for and Roselia grew me up in some really helpful ways but she did not hold back on her tough love so I know for sure that real love is tough love Hmm. and it is willing to tell you the truth even when you are least receptive to hear it (laughs) so uh, that was Roselia she was a tough character and yet I really learned so much from her and respected her and she and I ended up teaming up to develop a camp for kids specifically on race at a time years ago when nobody was doing that so I've been really fortunate so I know about love that all of those things and I know that that it's complicated and sometimes baffling
0: yeah
1: it just is but that's part of the energy about it it's part of the dance if you will about fierce love it's a dance it's an act of wire walking and hang gliding and bungee jumping all (laughs) of those things it involves all of that as part of its expression it jumps boundaries it finds its way where there isn't one it's just a remarkable part of our human journey and i'm so glad to find it and to find it with you
0: oh that's a good thing to end on that
1: means you'll maybe cook dinner tonight i, I don't know at, I <laughs>
0: i'm glad to be in this dance with you my friend my partner my lover mm. i love you
1: i love you too thank you yeah thank you
0: love period is
1: corey big paul swanson
0: izzy spitz sarah palmer jenna kuyper nicholas kramer and i'm calissa brewster This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is located in the heart of New Mexico, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. We also have other podcasts you might like. You can find those wherever you like to listen by searching for Center for Action and Contemplation or visit us at CAC.org to find out more about our other programs. From the high desert of New Mexico, We wish you peace and every good.